Hey, what's going on? Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Angular Air. I'm your host, Justin Schwarzenberger. And on today's episode, I'm always excited about every episode, but I got to say, I'm super excited about today's episode, like a little bit more than all the other episodes uh, up to this point, <laughs> maybe. Uh, but we're talking about module federation, some new stuff, some exciting stuff. Uh, can't wait to get into it. So let's uh, say hi to our panelists, and then we'll meet our guests, and then we'll learn all about it. Joining us today, we've got Bonnie with us. Bonnie, what is going on? Whole lot of nada. I'm very happy to be here. I'm very about the very happy about the guest, which I am not going to spoil. <laughs> but and it looks like excited. you've got a sh shirt that's in context with what we're talking about today, right? Because I saw the thing and I was like looking at this and I'm like, well, because remember Stephen Fluen was on a couple weeks ago. And I was like, what is this module federation? This is like a Star Trek thing or whatever. But whatever it is, Stephen Fluen was excited about it. So I'm excited about it because Stephen's excited about it. And then I was, and then he said, well, Manfred Steyer did this thing. And I was like, well, now I'm double. Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to. I'm so sorry. I didn't, because I'm just so excited. That so was I was going to make it. That was I didn't mean to. I'm so sorry, Justin. See, it's quite all right. No problem. So you got your webpack shirt on and you got to decide on wearing the webpack shirt or a red shirt, right? Because the whole Federation, Star Trek, I don't know. <laughs> well, it's a, it's because it sounds like Star Trek, but then when you get into it, there's like some webpack in there. And right. uh, plus I have like the old school, like old. Sean Larkin outfit kind of thing going on. So uh, yeah, so I had to represent and all right. but we have to, we have to figure this out. Nice. And I'm so so I just completely ruined that. I'm oh, not not a problem at all. Not a, Alyssa's joining us. Alyssa, what's going on? I excited to be here. <laughs> nice. And Mike's with us. Mike, we can't Mike's hear you. Muted. Mike. Mike is silent. You get uh -oh, another chance. I was just saying hi. Oh hi. <laughs> That's all. I didn't want to ruin anything, so I just was hi. And he has a don't shirt on. I don't know what. Don't don't worry, Mike. I already don't blame me. It. All right. <laughs> <laughs> don't blame me. I just married into this. Nice, nice. All right, and our guest today is a gift for my wife. To oh, what? Oh, it's gift for you. Okay. All right. Nice. Representing. I like it. Our guest today, Manfred Steyer. Manfred, how's it going? Yeah, fine. Thanks. We are super excited to have you. I, I think this is the first time we've had you on Angular Air. Is that? Sound correct? Or have you yeah, been on? Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. Yeah. Long time. Yeah, the long good time thing coming. is now we have a plenty of time for remote stuff, you know? <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, we're very excited to have you. Uh, do you want to tell our viewers a bit about yourself for those that might not know who you are and what you got going on? Uh, yeah, perhaps one or two sentences. I'm Manfred. I'm a trainer and consultant for Angular. And I'm helping a lot of companies with trainings, with consultancy. And I'm quite connected to the Angular community and I love it. So I think that's all. Nice, nice. I know you've done a lot of talks and workshops on like really enterprise level development of, of Angular applications and thinking about these larger code bases and, and how you solve different problems and architecture challenges in that. Um, and I'm assuming that this module federation kind of falls into that kind of concept and stuff. Yeah, totally. It really solves an issue a lot of my customers have since I don't know, since three or four years, because everyone is wondering how to implement micro frontends. And so far, there have been a lot of solutions, but not a really sound solution. And now it looks like that module federation will be the first official webpack based sound solution for this. I'm so, so excited I'm to learn about it. Yay. 
Now, are you going to explain what the micro front end concept is when you get into it? Or should we ask you right now about that? Well, we can do both. I have uh, prepared some slides because for me, it's also important to know when to use micro front ends because it's not a silver bullet. I mean, what is a silver bullet nowadays? Uh, it comes with advantages and disadvantages. And so you have to evaluate if it fits your needs, if it fits your architectural goals. I, I, I would not use it because it's cool. I would use it and when I'm seeing that it has more advantages for me than disadvantages. Well, but before we dive are... in, I wanted to tell you that the chat is going crazy. They're all thanking you for this topic. So oh, cool. way happy. to go. <laughs> you don't use it because <laughs> it's, really cool. it's cool because you use it, Manfred. <laughs> yeah, so are you going to show I us? I don't know. So I have uh, this slide prepared. Perhaps uh, you can put my screen on. And yeah, as mentioned, this is about micro front ends with module federation. And um, I had a lot of fun when I prepared this slide deck because, you know, federation of planets and Star Trek and so on, uh, selecting all the pictures was really fun. But there is one picture that does not have anything to do with Star Trek. But it also came in mind when I prepared for this presentation, namely this picture here. And perhaps you remember this uh, woman. Do you remember it? Is that Kit? Yeah, it's Kit. Yeah, it's it's Knight Rider. And this All the woman way back was to the so 80s. Funny, and she was the engineer in the Knight Rider team. And when I was a little child, she really inspired me. Uh, because she solved all those technical issues and this, those computer science issues, and I really liked it. And I think she is one of the reasons why I talked my parents into buying me a computer. Of course, I had some other arguments like, you know, it might be beneficial for school, which was not totally wrong, but also not totally true. But yeah, she really inspired me. But when thinking back to Knight Rider and to Bonnie, I noticed one thing. She was some kind of a one-woman show. And this is nowadays not the case. Nowadays, we don't have one man or one woman shows because nowadays, and now I have another Star Trek picture, software engineering is a team sport. We have several people and we need to coordinate them hopefully a diverse team, a cross-functional team where everyone brings in his or her uh, skills. And it is difficult enough to coordinate a team, but nowadays sometimes we have to coordinate several teams because software is getting bigger and bigger. And so we have to make sure that all those teams can work together on a big software. And this is quite challenging, of course. And there is a solution for this. The solution is telling us that we shall not implement monoliths anymore. A monolith is a big system doing everything, cooking coffee and uh, taking care about flights and taking care about buying some black shirts, something like this. And instead of this, it would be more beneficial to go with microservices. I mean, this idea has been around for about 20 years and since about five years, we are calling this microservices. A microservice is just a tiny subsystem 
In our case, instead of a flight system, we would create a booking service, a check-in service, luggage, boarding, and so on and so forth. And the less those parts know about each other, the better it is. Because if they don't know much about each other, they can be implemented in isolation by a specific team. And this is the goal here. So one team can concentrate on one service and does not influence other teams concentrating on other services. And now a lot of people are thinking about how can we use this pattern in the front end. And so what we are coming up with is micro front ends, which is basically just the same idea transferred to apps. In this case, we had the booking app and the check-in app and so on and so forth. Well, the big thing is, the question is what we are uh, trying to answer, how to implement those micro frontends. And there have been a plenty, uh, a, a big amount of answers, but not a perfect answer. We needed a lot of workarounds to implement micro frontends. And so it was not that much fun. It was possible, but you needed a lot of enthusiasm for doing it. And that's why I'm really glad that Webpack 5 will bring this module federation idea, which brings a sound solution for implementing micro frontends. Yeah, and this is what this talk is about. Uh, this talk is about micro frontends and module federation. But first of all, I will start with the consequences of micro frontends. Because before we think about a solution to implement micro frontends, we have to make sure we need them. If we need them, if our application meets the sweet spot of micro frontends, everything is fine. But if we don't need them, please don't even try to implement something like this, because at the end of the day, you will have more disadvantages than advantages. After this, I will show you how to implement a solution with module federation and Angular. And then I will answer one very important question, namely, when can we have it? This question is not that simple to answer because uh, it is currently in beta. And so, yeah, we will uh, see when we can use it. But first of all, let me introduce myself I already told you some things about me. I'm Manfred, I'm a trainer and consultant. And as all the trainer and consultants out there, I'm doing a lot of remote workshops currently because of this very situation, you know. And besides this, I'm connected to the Angular community. I'm really a big fan of Angular. I'm doing a lot of stuff in the German-speaking area of Europe. And sometimes when I... Um, when I promise to behave correctly, I'm also allowed to help companies in other countries, which is nowadays easier because we are doing everything remotely now, don't we? Okay, so let's get started with the first part I have prepared for you. Uh, this is the part which is about consequences of micro frontends. And I think the biggest positive consequence is we can create autonomous teams, teams that can work on their own on a specific part of the application, teams that don't influence other teams, which is quite important because 
I don't want to change something and create a bug in another part of the application where another team is responsible for. So I think this is the main advantage of micro frontends. We have a lot of uh, autonomous teams. And autonomous teams lead to a lot of further advantages. For instance, we can have a separate development. We don't need to communicate much with the others. We can just do our job. We can just produce business value. Another advantage is we can have a separate deployment. That means when we are done, we can deploy it immediately and the user will immediately get uh, additional business value. We don't have to coordinate with others to wait until the other teams are ready for deployment. Just deploy it when you are done. Brings a lot of agility back into the game. Even though we are talking about big companies, we can bring back the agility we know from smaller teams, from smaller scrum teams, we know from small companies or startups. And this is also nice. Each and every team can do their own architectural decisions. And this is important for me because for me, an architecture is not a one-size-fits-all thing. Different challenges lead to different architectures. And also, each and every team can do their own technology decisions. This is a very important point because it gives you a lot of power, but you know, there comes a lot of responsibility with power because you will not create a lot of different subsystems with a lot of different technologies because you can, you need a good reason for it. I have a lot of customers which know they can use different technologies, but they stick with Angular. They stick with Angular for the time being because they don't want to have a technology suit. But it is good to know that in the future, they can switch to other technologies for other parts of the application. Because we all know that uh, technologies will evolve. And we all know in 10 years, uh, we will have a lot of new technologies. And we don't want to stick with one technology we are choosing nowadays. Perhaps there is a better technology for this very subsystem, for this very micro frontend we have to implement in 10 years. And this gives us a lot of flexibility. If you ask me, because of this point, a micro frontend architecture is more honest than all the other architectures. Because the micro frontend architecture is knowing upfront that something will change, that technologies will go away, that technologies will die. And we are respecting this from the very first day. In other scenarios, we ignore this. We ignore that there is something like the death of a technology. We act like the technology will live forever, will be there forever. And then we have a hard time when we need to change out this technology of our system. But the big point is here, please be, um, be careful here because we don't want to end up with a technology suit. And as you have seen here, micro frontends are first and foremost, not about technical stuff. First and foremost, they are about scaling teams. And you know, teams means we have at least two of them. Uh, 
that shows us that if we don't have one team, we will very likely not reach the sweet spot of uh, micro frontends. So if you only have one team, very likely you don't need them. Yeah, there might be this or that reason why you might need it even though, but in most cases I've seen, if you just have one team, don't go with micro frontends because in this case, the disadvantages will be bigger than the advantages. Talking about disadvantages, of course, there are some challenges. For instance, we need to deal with UI composition. UI composition means we need to present our, let's say, 10 or 50 micro frontends as a common thing to the user. We as the developers are happy to have 50 less complex subsystems, but the user isn't. The user is not interested into starting 50 applications each and every morning. So somehow we need to present this as a big common thing. And this goes hand in hand with UI consistency. The user wants to have a consistent look and feel. If this is important for you, depends upon your architectural goals. Uh, of course, there are some situations where UI consistency is one of your prime goals. And then there are situations where UI consistency is important, but not the most important thing. When you think about an ERP system like SAP, yeah, of course, UI consistency is important, but there are other things that are more important than uh, UI consistency. When you want to sell something, of course, UI consistency is very important, perhaps the most important thing, because this gives you trust. So it's always about your architectural goals. You always have to evaluate. It's also about bundle sizes, because when we load 50 micro frontends, we don't want to load Angular 50 times. Somehow we want to share dependencies like Angular, like RxJS, and so on. And we have to take care about version conflicts. Version conflicts between micro frontends, but also version conflicts uh, which arise because of different micro frontends are using different versions of Angular, RxJS, and so on. Let's say one micro frontend is using Angular 7, and another micro frontend is using Angular 9. And when we use everything together, we have a big mess, I guess. So somehow we need to deal with these issues. And perhaps this is the most difficult challenge we are facing when going with microservices and, of course, with micro frontends. And there are some additional ones, but I think for getting started, those four are enough. They provide me the George Clooney effect, you know, they make me to grow gray hairs. In the case of George Clooney, it was a big advantage. Perhaps it's also a big advantage for me, who knows? Okay, so I have a good message for you. Module Federation in uh, Webpack 5 solves some of those issues. Not all of them, but some of them. It uh, does a big deal when it comes to UI composition. It really helps with this. And it really helps with sharing dependencies and so with reducing bundle sizes. And it may help with version conflict. 
it may. There are some features which can be beneficial. So I I'm will confused. show you Manfred, them. if you fix the sharing dependencies, so we're all pointing to the same dependencies, wouldn't that fix version conflicts as well? Yeah, that is the thing, because I can force all the macro frontends into using the same version of Angular, but if they are not prepared for this or that version of Angular, then it does not help much. That's why I'm saying, yeah, there are some, some ideas implemented into module federation for version conflicts, but at the end of the day, you have to make sure everything works together. And so you have to do this by your own. So I don't think that a technology like, let's say, module federation can help much with this. Okay. Cool. Okay, so much for micro frontends. As you've seen before, it comes with advantages, especially for huge company companies, but there are also some disadvantages. Now, let's talk about module federation. So I'm always saying module federation is a bit like the 1980s. You know, you have to experience them unless you cannot uh, find out what they are about. And so let's get started with a demonstration. In this little demonstration, in this little demonstration, I have this shell. This is my micro front-end shell. And this micro front-end shell is capable of loading micro front-ends like this here. Everything within the dashed border is just a self-contained micro front-end. It has been implemented separately, it has been compiled separately, and it has been deployed separately. And then this shell here is just loading the newest version. When we look at what happens behind the covers, we will see this looks a bit like lazy loading because when I'm opening the network tab here, when I'm clicking there, we are seeing that this chunk is loaded, the chunk with the number 798. And yeah, it has just three Ks, which is quite awesome because this proves that with module federation, we can share dependencies. Within three Ks, there is no place for for fitting Angular into or RxJS into. This is just my code, and this code is just sharing Angular and all the rest with the shell. So at first sight, this really looks like lazy loading. But at second sight, we see something that's really cute. Namely, here we have the origin with localhost 5000. And here, I'm zooming into it, we have localhost 3000, which is a completely different origin. And this has not been possible before with Webpack and the Angular CLI. So we are really grabbing out to a different application and loading parts of it into our shell. And the best of it is this different application running on localhost 3000 even works in standalone mode. This is important because the team needs to test it in isolation, needs to test it without influencing other teams. It needs to deploy it in isolation. It needs to develop it in isolation. And perhaps some users just want to load this part of our system. In this case, they don't have to deal with the shell. So 
after we've saw this, the big question is, how is this possible? And perhaps you are saying, hey, this cannot be that difficult because, you know, in Webpack, we have nowadays dynamic imports and before we had to require. So why not just import something from over there, from this other, uh, from this other origin? At first sight, this really seems to be easy. But at second sight, we will find out this is not possible with Webpack and it is also not possible with the Angular CLI, which is using Webpack. And the reason is Webpack demands us to give everything to it during compilation time. Webpack wants to know everything upfront when everything is compiled. And this is even the case for lazy parts. Because what is Webpack doing? Webpack is taking all the source code. Webpack is compiling the source code. Webpack is optimizing the source code. And then, and only then, is Webpack splitting the source code into chunks. And some of those chunks can be lazy loaded. Some of those chunks will be loaded in an eager way. This is how Webpack works. And so we cannot easily reference another application with import. And this is exactly where module federation comes in. Module federation defines several roles. One of those roles is the host, and the other role is the remote. In my case, the shell is the host. The shell is the host because it wants to load some remotes. In this case, it wants to load some micro frontends. And the remote is just a self-contained application which can be loaded into another application. And within the shell, everything we need is just a tiny amount of configuration. We need this configuration section which is defining remotes. To be honest, it is more defining URLs pointing to hosts, uh, pointing to remotes. In this case, I'm saying, hey, I have this URL MFE1. MFE1 stands here for micro frontend one. I know it's a very creative name. And I'm saying, hey, every time we are importing something from MFE1, please load it from this other origin. You have seen it. I have MFE1 several times here. I have it twice. Uh, this is because I could introduce an alias here. I'm not doing it. I'm just calling it MFE1. But I could say, well, what's called MFE1 over there is called Manfred or Batman or Bruce Wayne or something like this in my application. By the way, it's always a good idea to call your variables Manfred or Batman. Your colleagues will love you. <laughs> right. Right. So, <laughs> over there, we can expose stuff. Manfred, Batman, same, same. Perhaps not exactly the same, but yeah. I'm, I'm a big Batman fan. And I really tried to bring in some Batman things into this presentation, but it was full with Knight Rider and Star Trek, so it was difficult. I think I need to do another presentation with Batman. Hmm. <laughs> Okay. I think all of them together is amazing and you should just you should do exactly what you're doing, Manfred. Okay, cool. So I will try it next time. So the remote, the micro frontend can expose stuff. For instance, it can expose this very file with a component and it gives it a name, an official name, which is CMB here. 
And then, trust me, then something beautiful happens. Then I can do something like this within the shell. I can import something from MFE1 CMB. MFE1 points to this other remote, and CMB is uh, the name of the exposed component over there. And so I can load this part of this very micro frontend. It's really as easy as that. Of course, now you are wondering, well, how do we get the URL of the micro frontend? Because the shell needs to, you, it, to, 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 to know its URL. And the answer is, when compiling the micro frontend, we get a remote entry point. It is just a tiny file, some bytes. It's really not big. And we have to load this remote entry point into our shell. We can do it with a script tag. We can do it with a dynamic script tag. And I've already seen a commit, which is introducing a way to tell the shell by providing a JSON object where the micro frontend can be found. So hopefully in the near future, we don't need the script tag anymore. We just call a function. We are passing in an, an JSON object, an object literal, and this points to the right URL. Another thing we need to do is we need to share libraries. And this is also really easy. It is almost too easy to be true. Because to share libraries, we just need to fill this object. It can be an array. It can also consist of uh, other objects. In this case, it is just an array where I'm saying, hey, I want to share Angular core. And if the micro front end is doing the same, the micro front end will not load its own Angular core. It will just reuse the already loaded, the already existing Angular core. It's really as easy as that. And that's in like a Webpack config? Yeah, that's in the Webpack config, yeah. Okay. I feel like you must have forgotten something because it can't possibly be that easy. Well, it's really that easy because all the heavy lifting is done behind the covers by those Webpack plugins and by the Webpack infrastructure. There are some challenges. Somehow we need to squeeze this into the Angular CLI, but I have some ideas for this. Okay, cool. Yeah, so one issue, as mentioned before, is conflicting libraries. When we share libraries, we can have conflicts. You know, one micro frontend could need Angular 7, the other one could need Angular 9, and then nothing works at the end of the day. For this, uh, module federation gives us two solutions. The first one is we can trust into the shell. We can put our head into the sand and just trust that everything will work anyway. So in this case, perhaps it works even with Angular 9, even though we are expecting Angular 7. And the other strategy is each and every micro frontend can design to load its own version. That means the first micro frontend loads Angular 7, the other loads Angular 9, the shell has Angular 8. It's another option provided by module federation. But honestly, both solutions might be bad. In some situations, one of those solutions might come in handy. Well, if I have RxJS in that version and in this version, it might be not that bad. 
Of course, we are loading too much, but it don't might be that bad. But when it comes to Angular, it might be really bad if we have several versions of Angular because if they will influence each other, we have a really hard time. And so what I really think is we have to prevent this situation by our own, by introducing conventions, by introducing contracts, or by using a mono repository. Because the mono repository can make sure we are just using one version of all the libraries. Of course, if we have different deployment, we can even mess up with mono repos, but it's better than nothing. Okay, so no one will help us out of this because, yeah, you see both solutions that are possible on a technical level might not be the best solution. And yeah, something which also might uh, help here is using integration tests. It makes at least sure everything works together in your staging environment uh, before we pub publish it to production. Of course, we all have a staging environment with automated tests, don't we? Okay. So, 100% coverage for sure. Absolutely. Of course. For sure. 120% of coverage. <laughs> so, let me show you all this in action. Let's dive in a bit into the source code. What we see here is my shell, to be more precise, the routes of my shell, lazy loading something from the micro frontend. And this really looks like traditional lazy loading. And the best of it, for integrating the micro frontends into my shell, I'm just using Angular. I'm just using the router. But the thing is, as mentioned before, this here is mapped to an external application, an external application which is exposing a module. This file contains a flights module, and hopefully this flights module contains a routing configuration of its own, you know, some child routes, so that this plays together with lazy loading. This is everything I need in the source code of my host of my shell. Of course, now I need to configure everything. And for this, let's have a look into my webpack config. What we see here, what we see here is everything we need to put into the configuration of the shell. We need to put the module federation plugin there. We have to define our remotes, no aliases here. And uh, yeah, we need to define our shared libraries. Angular core, Angular common, Angular router, and so on and so forth. And then we have to do something similar within the configuration of the micro frontend. Let me scroll down. It's here. So we assign a name, micro frontend one. We define the name of the remote entry point, this little file that needs to be loaded into the shell upfront. We need to expose some components and modules and we also need to share some stuff. And that's it. The rest here is normally generated by the Angular CLI, but I cannot use the Angular CLI because uh, it is using Webpack 4 currently. Webpack 5 is still beta, and so it will take some time until it supports uh, Webpack 5. 
But everything we need to do, and this will be not a big challenge, is to squeeze this configuration into the WebRack configuration created by the CLI. So it should not be that difficult, I guess. Also, of course, when compiling this, um, this micro frontend, we get this file, and this file needs to be loaded into the index HTML of our shell. This here is my shell. And as mentioned before, we can also do this dynamically. And hopefully in the near future, we can do something like, I don't know, do it web back with this configuration, uh, like, I don't know, MFE1 can be found here. In this case, we can load this object from the server, from a lookup service or a discovery service. And so we can configure everything in a very dynamic fashion. Okay, cool. That's it. That's, that's everything we need to do here. So it's really powerful, but it's not complex. Of course, now the big question is when can we have it? And the answer is, well, Webpack 5 is currently in beta, as mentioned before. And the shown example here is just a proof of concept, a proof of concept with a custom Webpack configuration and uh, with a batched CLI library. I just batched some of the Angular CLI libraries, especially the library which takes care of AOT because I need to do AOT within my Webpack build. And you know, hand crafting Webpack configuration files is not that funny. I've done it before and I have to say, I've done more funny things. I have done funnier things because yeah, this can be quite huge and exhausting. And so we need, first of all, a CLI version which supports Webpack 5 and we will not get it before fall 2020, before this fall, because uh, in fall 2020, we get CLI 11, and this will be the time when Webpack 5 is hopefully ready. So we have to wait until fall, and then we have to find a way to squeeze this federation config into the CLI's Webpack config. This can be done by a custom builder, we can handcraft one or we can use NGX Build Plus. This is one of mine builders, which allow to merge one Webpack configuration into the CLI's Webpack configuration. This might come in handy. That means if everything works out, we are on the safe side in fall. If you say, hey, this was a great presentation, perhaps you like my ebook. I'm updating it on a regular basis, and I think several days ago, I think it was last week, I've updated it with some chapters about module federation, but also with some alternatives for module federation, some alternatives that already work today. You can download it here at angulararchitect.io. And if you say, hey, your this is, was an I didn't awesome know your book presentation. Pardon? Your book is free? Yeah, it's free. So just download it. And That's amazing. It's and a very good feedback. book, you guys. Give me feedback. I'm always happy if I get some feedback because it is really valuable in those times. Your feedback and is I can't believe don't... it's free. It's a good book. Yeah, you know, we are a community, so 
just go to my website, register at my website. This is everything you need to do, and then you get it. Okay, so um, if you don't like my talk, check out my ebook anyway. Perhaps I'm writing better than I'm speaking, you know. Uh, there is still the chance that every one of us will be happy. Good, so let me come to a conclusion. Um, we have seen the main purpose, and this is really important. The main purpose of micro frontends is not technology, it is organization. It is about scaling teams. It is about subdividing your application into parts that can be implemented by autonomous teams. And also federation is mainly about loading stuff from other apps which are deployed separately on other origins. It allows us to share libraries and please take care of conflict. I guess we have to do this by ourselves because I cannot even imagine a good technical solution which is taking care of this. And there is a last thing I want to tell you, namely try to be a bit like Bonnie, like the Bonnie from Knight Rider, because what Bonnie is doing she is always thinking first, in opposite to her counterpart, to the main cast in Knight Rider, this guy from the beach, I don't remember his name, uh, <laughs> Mr. Maskis. Uh, he is always hitting first and then thinking, but Bonnie is thinking first, and this is what I really like. In our case, please, first think about if you need micro frontends, evaluate them, and if you say yes, if you say, no, I don't need them because I only have one team, then go with a monolith. Some people are calling it a majestic monolith because, you know, the microservice people are saying a monolith, a big application is something that's bad. But that's not the case. If you have a good structured monolith, if you're using an axe to make sure that you have a proper structure, a monolith can be a beautiful thing, a majestic thing. So that's why some people are referring to it as a majestic monolith. And if you say, yes, I need this micro front and stuff because several teams and so on and so forth, please consider module federation. There are some alternatives, but module federation really seems to be very attractive because it's a more or less official solution from the Webpack team and it takes care about so many things underneath the covers. Here you have my contact data, you find my slides and my examples in my blog and if you want follow me on Twitter so that we can keep in touch. Yeah, that's it pretty much. Awesome. We Very awesome. I have six things that I wrote down that I want to uh, ask you about and talk about as discussion points. Uh, yeah, so let me throw those out here first and we'll kind of continue on from there. Um, <laughs> I have a question about when, uh, let's say my module needs another Angular um, library, right? Like let's say it's using forms and the mm. shell is not using forms. How do we handle that where we say, hey, look, my module A needs forms, bring that in Webpack or whatnot? Yeah, so we can talk to the shell people to add Angular forms to the shared section of the configuration. Um, and if they don't do it, 
then a module federation will automatically load Angular forms alongside the micro frontend. So it really checks at runtime if this shared library is already there. And if it is not there, it is just loaded on demand. That's why everything that is shared is put into separate bundles to make this possible. So then like where you showed your 3.1K for the one that you had, because that's all it had in it, if that one needed forms and it didn't exist, it would be the 3.1K, but also the forms coming into the client, downloaded yeah. at that point? Okay. Yeah. And you can even bind it to a version number or to some other string. Um, and in this case, only when those strings fit together, like the version numbers, it will be reused. Otherwise, it will be loaded separately by the micro frontend. Okay, I'm going to keep going get through my six real quick, right? Okay, so the um, is it going to be possible to think about things like pre-rendering that micro frontend? Um, same yeah, with that's cool. That's a very good question. I had um, several weeks ago a customer who needed both pre-rendering plus uh, plus uh, micro frontends because it was a huge system and it was customer facing, so they needed both. And the thing is, with all the other workarounds, it does not work that well with pre-rendering. Of course, you can always spin up something like Puppeteer on the backend and do pre-rendering with everything. But as this is baked into Webpack, it also works perfectly with pre-rendering. And uh, the guy who is creating um, this module federation stuff has even a fork of Next uh, for React, which proves that. And I have even seen an example where someone who is following me on Twitter has uh, migrated my ideas to an idea that is using SSR, Angular-based SSR. So we are on the safe side here. Very cool. And then with the URL pass and everything, we could put those pre-renders on different CDNs as needed, right? And have that come in that way. Yeah, yeah. Very cool. Different CDNs or I don't know, GitHub pages or this new Azure thing we've heard about this week. Very cool. Okay, my next three are just recaps of points that you said that I want to reiterate that I thought were, were excellent, right? Um, the uh, that where you said we admit that like technology is going to change, right? So we're being honest about the fact that we're setting that up. Um, I love that because it's it's different from saying like when we think about in terms of let's say we create a facade, like let's say we're doing database integration and we're like, well, let's put a facade in front of it in case we change our database out, right? Well, that's a different pattern than saying this, which is you're admitting that technology may change, but you're not building around that, right? The, the Federation allows you to say, I still build my specific technology, but because I've set this little bit of infrastructure up, I'm ready to you know, do something different if I need to down the road, right? And I just really like yeah. that approach. Yeah, that's, that's really good. I mean, several people are also denying that at some point in time, they have to die. And we are doing the same with software. And I think and Wait, what? Uh, just uh, not thinking about this fact is wrong. Totally, totally. Not you, Mike. Don't worry. Not me? OK, cool. And then I, um, I like the fact that like when we start talking about this module federation and, and grouping those things into little pieces, it, when you architect those pieces, you get to think 
clearly about the API that you're exposing and be able to keep yeah. that stuff internal, right? So that's one of those big benefits of, of being able to break that thing down in a smaller piece is, is that then you have more control over how others are going to use your stuff. And then you can internalize more stuff to, to ensure the integrity of how you want it to work, that sort of thing. Totally, but, but that's the point. You need uh, a way of creating stable APIs. And uh, you need to minimize your communication and you also need to minimize the code sharing because if you do a lot of communication, a lot of code sharing, all the parts depend on each other. And this is exactly what we wanted to prevent when we invented microservices, micro frontends. So for communication, something that seems to work quite well also in the backend is messaging. Just raise an, uh, an event like, hey, I have booked a flight. And if some other parts of the system are interested into it, they can react upon it. And if they don't are interested, they can just ignore it. It's their choice, right? And then they can, yeah, you can have one to many that decide to plug in and listen for it and, and react to it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Mm. Okay, I got two more. Sorry, panelists. I, I guess I'm having my moment, but I really want to squeeze these in. So Don't worry, Justin, out, like, you got somebody this. Else. Okay. Uh, really feels a lot like there's also the concept of domain-driven design that comes into play here. And I know you know yeah. a lot about that and you talk about that. Maybe you can touch just briefly on, on how that comes into play as well in this thinking. Yeah, that's a good question because using micro frontends only makes sense if you find a proper way to cut the system into tiny pieces. If we have a system where everything is intermingled with everything else by nature, then this might not be possible. Just an example. I have this customer who is creating a really beautiful uh, diagramming application. They are painting PPMN diagrams, business processing models, and because everything is just an editor, a graphical editor, they cannot easily split everything into self-contained parts because everything uh, is used by the editor. And so you really need to find a way to cut it into domains. Yeah, that's right. In some situations, it's very easy. If you think about an ERP system like SAP, it is quite easy because it is quite natural to have an accounting section and an uh, sales section and let's say a salary section and the cost calculating, calculating section. So here it comes quite natural. And that's why using domain-driven design is the first step you need to uh, do. And then when you have your domains, you can think about do we need to split it into micro frontends or do we keep everything in within a majestic monolith? Nice. And I love the majestic monolith. I love the thoughtfulness and mindfulness that you approach that. I really appreciate that. Okay, last one. And it's just a thought-provoking thing to go forward with. Doesn't it kind of feel like maybe we're almost building an operating system and we're saying the module federation are the little apps that we're bringing in? Our app shell is really like a little mini operating system? Yeah, a bit like that. Yeah, a bit like that. So I think if the micro frontends don't know anything about each other, we can also create separate applications. Think about a product suite like, let's say, the Google Suite or Office 365. There we have a lot of separate applications. But if they need to exchange some messages, not too much, and if they need to exchange some code, not too much, 
then this approach might come in handy, this module federation approach. Nice. All right. Thank you, panelists. I appreciate you letting me <laughs> have the floor. All right. Questions? Anybody else? I was getting so stressed out because in the, in the earlier in the show, because um, Manfred told us to wait till the end because he had a lot to cover and we had a time limit today. And uh, but there were so many questions in the chat and I was like, how are we ever going to get to all these? And then this Zach Jackson guy is just like knocking them out, answering all these. I hope he knows what he's talking. He sounds like he knows what he's talking about. Because he's answered all yeah, the questions. Yeah, he, so. he is the person who implemented uh, module. We federation. believe him, so he implemented it? Oh, shut the front yeah. door. So if you don't believe <laughs> so anyone, believe him. <laughs> Thank you, Zach Jackson. Really we appreciate your support and your presence in the chat. Because uh, I was like, man, the all chat. these questions. And then Zach's just like knocking him out. So it's he's a good also thing kind that he of, knows. He's kind of blowing my mind a little bit with some things that he's suggesting. Um. So, you know, if you if you're prepped we hope for something he knows like what that, he's talking about, are you sure we should listen to this guy, Manfred? Totally. And I will <laughs> use this opportunity to also say thank you to Zach, because he also helped me to make it work with Angola, with this proof of concept, because, you know, Angola is a bit more, how shall I put it, holistic compared to other frameworks. And so she I needed thinks. some tricks uh, <laughs> to make it work. I, I, I have a question because Justin saw the floor for a while. Um, so you mentioned the idea of like NX being very similar in terms of building libraries uh, to be able to share all these separate pieces of logic or separate mini applications uh, to build them as li applications versus libraries. Uh, you talked about the idea of giving up potentially shared state uh, across those. Yeah. And my question in terms of Angular in specific is that with Angular 9, I think it was introduced, uh, not only do we have provided in root, but we also have provided in platform. Yeah. Does that provided in platform support uh, across the module federation? Mm. Yeah, that's true. So it would work. It would work uh, across module federation. That means um, if we provide something, I think for root is enough. For root on the one side within the shell, we can load it directly within our micro front end if we know the injection token. Because at the end of the day with module federation, everything is one big application. But the thing is we have to be careful because the fact that we can grab everything does not mean we shall do it. I would really restrict myself to sending some messages around, but technically it would be possible. Yeah, well, my main concern with that um, and my first grasp in any application that I work on in terms of some sort of shared state is authentication, is to yeah. share the user state uh, across. So if we have some sort of authentication or authorization service that we want to be able to share that state and access that from anywhere within the application or applications, plural, yeah. uh, within the module federation structure. That's true. We need a tiny amount of shared states. So in most applications I've seen that really fitted well into this idea of micro frontends, we had about five or six fields that have been shared. And one of them was the user or their authentication token. Another information is a global filter. Perhaps I want to filter my campaigns for a date or time span 
or the current customer when it comes to a CRM system or the current patient when it comes to a hospital system, something like a scalable filters. So as much as needed and as little as possible, I would say. All right, I, I think we probably have time for maybe one more question or discussion and then we better wrap it up. If anybody has anything last from our panelists. Going once? Uh, not related. Like, sold, okay. I have All a right, pick. Let's, uh, let's do some picks if anybody has any picks and then we'll call it an episode. Our panelists, does any of our panelists have anything? I have two very quick picks. Okay. My first pick is Zach Jackson from the chat, who is a, a, a really cool guy and apparently a really smart guy. And my second pick is, uh, and next week, NG Vikings with this guy uh, here who's going to be speaking at NG Vikings. And, you know, I mean, I love NG Vikings. Sherry List and Maxim and uh, Chris Noring. I just love those people. And they're going to be streaming live next week free. And uh, yeah, so that's going to be cool. Check that out. That's my pick. Nice. Melissa, do you have anything today you want to pick or plug? Um, just from, you know, we talked about it. That was last week, right? I wanted to mention Angular Nation. If you're not on it, you should be on it. A really, really cool platform that ours truly, Bonnie, has been working on for a while now. So uh, Angular Nation, get on it. It went crazy. It's like 1,100 <laughs> people in the first week. We were not prepared for that. I thought it was going to be 100. Mm -hmm. So that kind of freaked me out. Okay, yeah. that's you know, about ten times there. as much as you were prepped so for. Awesome. So, right? Yeah, <laughs> it was a little much. I wasn't ready, Very but we're cool. having fun over there. Awesome, Mike. Got any pick? I do, but it's something that I haven't watched. But it's a TV show. Uh, Netflix has released a couple of trailers for a show called Space Force that looks hysterical with Steve Carell from The Office, and also apparently some of the writers from there. It looks hysterical. Ooh. Check that out. It comes out at the end of next week, I believe, the 29th. So. That sounds fun. Very nice. I love Steve Carell. Very nice. I'm going to do a pick this week, and I'm inspired by Manfred and the 80s references. Uh, so my pick is the fact that uh, River City Ransom, it's a game, video game from back in the 80s, uh, it, they have a, a version of it now available on Xbox. And so that was one of my favorite games. Eat a lot of sushi, power up. It's very cool. Uh, so if anybody knows that game, that's my pick. <laughs> Mike has Mike wants to. Yeah, say you, you reminded me of. Uh, speaking of retro games, uh, they've remastered Tony Hawk Pro Skater versions one and two that's coming out this fall. Wow! Yeah, look forward to that too. That's yeah, a good absolutely. one. All right, Manfred, do you have anything that you want to pick or plug? I know you kind well, of already you know. I'm a big Star Trek fan, and uh, there was this announcement. I think it was. During the weekend, there will be a new uh, Star Trek show, which is about uh, Captain Pike on the Enterprise. And I'm really excited about it and to discover this part of Star Trek. That's Did so you great. watch that Picard one? Yeah, yeah. Was that good? I, I liked it. The ending was a bit shocking, but you know, we all have our own ideas how the ending could look like. and then we are a bit sorry if the ending looks in look, looks like a different way. But yeah, it, it was really good. Speaking Perhaps of it the was ending, a bit you guys, slow, we so promised it, it we were going to stop. A bit faster. Sorry? I said, speaking of the ending, we promised we'd stop at the top of the hour tonight. We, we, we made a pact. We are. We're, we're there. And, <laughs> and we have a, you know, no surprise ending here, our normal ending. <laughs> so we'll go with that. Hey, Manfred, uh, 
thanks a ton for coming on and sharing your time and sharing your knowledge on this. We, we really appreciate having you on and, and you taking that time to do that for us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It was really a pleasure. Thank you. Come uh, back and see us again, Manfred. Thank yes, you so much. <laughs> All right, everyone. That's a wrap. Have a good one. We'll catch you next time. Later. Mwah. Ah.